everyone. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Hi, everyone. I'm Rivi Frankel. Welcome back to Matan's One-on-One Parsha podcast, where we spend about 30 minutes discussing deep thematic points about the Parsha. Our series on Dvarim is titled Dor Sheikh. Messages for a Lifetime. Each episode explores Moshe's educational message for the Jewish people as they prepare to enter the land of Israel. Each week's guest will be someone who herself has learned at Matan and is now passing these educational messages to the next generation of Torah students. If you would like to sponsor a podcast episode in honor or memory of a loved one, please contact the Matan office by telephone or email us at podcast at matan.org.il. These sponsorships enable us to keep creating new content. So if you've deliberated until now, please don't hesitate to be in touch. This week we read Vizot Tabracha, the last Parsha of the Torah. Moshe, like Yaakov, blesses each of the 12 tribes. And then we read of Moshe's death. Lo kam navi od b'Yisrael ke Moshe. Another prophet like Moshe does not arise again in Yisrael. This basically sums up who Moshe Rabbeinu was, not just for the generation at his time, but really throughout the generations of Jewish history. And now somehow those people have to figure out how to continue without him, just like we do today. But we don't just end here at this Parsha. We start right away with Breshi, reading a little bit from next week's Parsha to show that we never really finish learning Torah. On today's episode, we're doing something a little bit different. Joining me are three educators, graduates of the Matan Bellows Professional Development Fellowship. They joined a weekly program from their homes all over the United States, while also still teaching in their local schools. They then came to Israel for a 10-day seminar at Matan Jerusalem, learning and studying together, having stepped out of the virtual classroom. Gabby Gelman, now from Denver, teaches Tanakh to middle school and high school students at Da'at, Denver Academy of Torah. Annie Nagel from Los Angeles teaches Bami Bar to 10th graders at Eula High School for Girls. And Rachel Blumenthal from New York is the 6th grade dean at Westchester Day School, where she also teaches middle school Navi. Ladies, it's wonderful to have you all together joining me here today. Thanks for having us. One of the things that I think, you know, it's very timely for where we are in terms of where we're recording. Uh, I know that by the time people are listening to this, we'll already have started the new school year. But as we're recording, we're really at this place where we're just about to go back to a new year, to a new classroom, uh, to new students, uh, but often the same material, or even if we're teaching new material, we're coming back to things that we've learned before. And what I'd like to start off with is, I'd like to ask you how you keep your passion alive for teaching year after year in the same way that we have to, as we read the Torah year after year, we have this cycle and we're so excited on Simchas Torah that we finished, And then we start right away again. And somehow we have to keep that new and exciting. And the truth is that in Pasuk Zion, it tells us that Moshe Rabbeinu, his eyes never dimmed, right? He was always passionate about what it was that he was teaching and learning. And I'm wondering how you as classroom educators, but also as learned women yourselves, keep that new and exciting passion alive for Torah study? For me, I think it's two things. Firstly, I myself have gotten back to school. Um, I started Revel's PhD program, and I find that making sure that I'm engaged with my own learning and learning something that I'm passionate about is key to being excited to teach something, even though I basically teach 
the exact same course every year um, in terms of you know the content on the curriculum so that and i'll even though it's not relevant for my 10th grade class i'll throw in all sorts of things i'm learning that are related even though of course it's not they're not responsible for it. And I think it's important because it gets me excited. And I think for the students to see, oh, wow, my teacher's still excited about learning is really crucial, you know, to the point you were making of like, lo kohata enough, that he, that we're still excited about it. And I think the other component is really always teaching with, as I tell my students, the Torah said it first, right? Um, I teach Ban Midbar, and we learn the Ramban about the counting, why Hashem wanted everyone to be counted. And one of the things he says is that each Jew could go in front of Aaron and Moshe, the Bechavod Bigdula, right? And I'm like, Lahavdil, imagine, you know, going in front of Queen Elizabeth. And Mamish the next day, she passed away. And they all ran into the class and they were like, this is Nagel, the queen died, you know? So um, I always, I feel like when you're always thinking about Torah in light of what's going on around you, um, it really helps make it seem relevant. I know for me, I'm sure Taylor Swift is going to be part of our curriculum in some form this way, but the refrain of the Torah said it first always runs through my mind when I'm teaching and that helps me um, think about it in a way that's relevant. And I even like will find myself like giving Dvar Torahs to my friends from what I've learned in class when we're talking about something. And I think that mindset can really help keep it fresh, so to speak. Beautiful. Rachel or Gabby? Gabby, okay. go first. <laughs> I think the way I approach my teaching every single year is that I think to myself, you know what, this is a different time. Meaning because the summer has passed, then I'm different and my students are different. And therefore the Torah that I'm going to be teaching is going to be different. And I really have that in my mind all the time. I start every year with like a little anxiety. I think it's kind of a good anxiety where I, I stress a little bit about how am I going to present something? And I have to think, well, who are my students? And they may be new students or they may be the same students from last year. There's a great quote from Heraclitus, which I love, which says, no man ever steps in the same river twice. It's not the same river and he's not the same man. And that's really true. Even if I'm teaching the same thing. Someone I remember once said to me, Oh, why are you always preparing? Don't you teach the same thing every year? And can't you just like take out your notes from the year before and just go for it that way? So sometimes when you're in a small school, like I teach in Denver, Colorado, you may be teaching new things every single year. Like I teach, you know, six different subjects. So there is new teaching that you need to prepare. But even if you're teaching the same thing, you know, it's going to be different. And you need to always have that in mind. Like my incoming sixth grade students are not the same students that they were when they were in fifth grade. So really, it's always, always different. I love that that you said that. It, I don't know if you remember when we went to the Israel Museum with um, Dr. Yael Ziegler. But to me, one of the things that stood out the most was when she showed us PIM, when she showed us these weights that uh, until very recently, so it's a, it's a Pasuk, um, from the VMRI Shonim, where it, it has this word that we didn't know what it meant. And so there were all these different commentators, and it wasn't until we found a weight with the word PIM on it that we realized it was like Shekel. It was another form of measuring uh, for, for different weight measures. And I always use that as an example for my students when they're like, where's their room for us in the Beit Midrash, or why should we keep learning? And there's always new things to be discovered. But even in the old things, we are always new to be rediscovering it. So I, I love that you said that. Rachel. Annie and Gabby, both of what you said really resonate with me. I also think just as my own Torah learner, each time I learn something that I've learned before, I always find that I uncover something new or something different resonates with me at a different point in my life or even throughout the year or even 
throughout the week. And I find that that really keeps me on my toes, right? That there's always something more to uncover. If you just mentioned, why why should we go to the Bay Midrash? Why should we be studying? And part of it is that the first time I learned this or the second time or fifth time or 10th time, I didn't uncover something and there's something to be uncovered now. And, and on the flip side of that, when I learn that in a classroom with students for whom this is the first time they're learning something, they uncover, I find, so much more than I do when they learn a Pasuk for the first time. Um, when they're introduced to David or Shaul or Shlomo for the first time, they really, they open up my eyes to new things within the text. And I think that's really an incredible moment that I take a step back and actually I'm a learner in the classroom with them always. And that's how I find that I don't get bored by the content that I teach because I actually don't teach it. I learn it with them. And I try really hard when I'm learning with my students to say, I'm not teaching you anything. We're learning this together. And I make that conscious effort all the time. You know, we're learning these psukim together today. Today, we're going to be exploring Rashi together. It's never this moment of I teach and they learn. It's we learn together and grow together. And that helps motivate me to keep on teaching and uncovering new things and keeping it fresh and exciting. Knowing you and and, and having learned together with you, the, the genuineness in which you say that, that I can totally imagine you standing in a classroom and learning together with your students like that and getting excited with them, uh, seeing their excitement and learning. I, I just, I have that moment of like actually seeing you uh, standing there and doing that. And I think that's really beautiful. I would love if you could share a piece of Torah that Moshe Rabbeinu shares. This parsha is is really difficult. I mentioned last week in our in our podcast with um, Arielle Agatstein that I went to Berea and I I learned this with uh, Mrs. Elisheva Tights and watching her cry. And I'm seeing Annie nod too that uh, she had Mrs. Tights <laughs> for this as well. Watching her cry that Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't go into Eretz Yisrael made such an impact on me. When I got to Israel for the first time, I felt like, Moshe, I'm bringing you with me. Like that emotion of being able to step where Moshe couldn't. And yet we have through the entire Sefer Devarim, there's not one second where the reader can doubt the love and the passion which Moshe uses to address and prepare the people for this journey that he can't take with them. And I'm wondering, as kind of we're summing up this Sefer uh, in this episode, if you wouldn't mind sharing a piece from Devarim, maybe it's specifically from this week, but really from the whole Sefer, uh, that speaks to you from Moshe's educational messages. Ravi, I'm just going to jump off what you said there, Ravi. Um, when I read Sefer Devarim, and you know we're learning it all throughout the last few weeks, and, and it really culminates here on Simchat Torah, right? I always turn back to Ve'etchanan El Hashem, when Moshe turns back to Hashem and, and davens and reflects on that for the nation. And I find it a really powerful moment as well, that Moshe, who's the closest with Hashem, whoever was and ever will be, right? You mentioned that Pasuk, you mentioned that verse in the beginning of the podcast, right? There's never going to be a prophet that arises like Moses in that still you have this man who humbles himself before God and cries before God. And that scene gets me every every time um, in Chamesh, in, when we read it in Shul. Perhaps it's right after Tisha B'Av, and we've all been crying for things that have been lost or we have yet to have. But seeing Moshe Rabbeinu turn to Hashem and, and cry and reflect on what he doesn't have and then hear that harsh no, right? You can't go into the land. I think that's a moment that I take with me and hopefully transmit to my students in our davening, right? It's okay to cry before God. It's okay to ask for things. It's okay to feel 
that close companionship with God at, at points in time. And hopefully we bring that with us as we learn, as we daven, as we create this Jewish community together. So, you know, here in Vizot HaBracha, when we reflect on the entire Sefer Tzvarim and the entire Hamas, right, that to me is what really steps to the fore with Moshe's relationship with Hashem. I also love that you say that in context of we're in Simchas Torah now, right? Like you might think the Yamim Noraim are behind us, right? We did our intense prayer and we're kind of like relieved that we're, we're past like the Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur for the year. And yet the reality is, is that the work is just beginning, right? In the same way that we're starting the Torah again, is that relationship that Moshe had, that consistent connection and discussion with God continues, even though the Amim Nareem are over. So I, I love that juxtaposition there. Gabby? I think the message, I mean, I don't really have one specific thing, but the overall message that I really love from Sefer Dvarim is where Moshe is trying to speak to this new generation. And sometimes we see these differences when we compare to where we find some of the things previously. For example, when he talks about the Shoftim and all the things about not assimilating with foreign cultures, we see that Moshe really has a recognition of what is needed for this new generation that is about to go into Israel. In my teaching, we always discuss and we learn about Moshe and Meimiriva and uh, why was he punished when he hit the rock. And I find that that narrative is really troubling to my students. And I always found that an answer that's that resonates with them and personally I connect to it myself also was that the problem there in Moshe hitting the rock and that whole story was that Moshe was treating this new generation that was getting ready to go into Israel like the previous generation, like the generation that had come out of Egypt. And he needed to differentiate and he needed to treat each generation differently. And, and that was a mistake that he made and that was a flaw. But I feel like in Sefer Devarim, we see that Moshe has totally nailed that down now. He's seeing this new generation. He knows how to speak to them because he sees that they are different. I often also tell my students when they feel this sadness for Moshe that he can't go into Israel and they feel like it's so unfair. And I tell them, you know, you don't understand this now, but since I'm, of course, much older than them, um, as a parent, you know, when you're parents, you want better for your children. So when your children get to do things that you maybe did not have the opportunity you're not jealous of them. You're just so happy for them. And that's the way I always view Moshe in his viewing of this generation going into Israel where he can't, that he's like their parent. And he's so happy that they're going to be able to do it, even though, of course, there's a sadness that he himself is not going to be able to. I think that's just such a great message. I always tell my students, just remember this when your parents, like, like just write it down now. And when your parents, you know, so many years from now, please God, you'll say, this is what Mrs. Gelman told us. But I also think that Moshe is able to really have that relationship with Israel right now. And therefore, it's the same thing. I think that when we go into teaching, I'm always connecting to my students, similar to the question that we spoke about previously. You know, my students are different. This generation is different. So, you know, I always keep that message in the back of my mind. I need to treat my students differently, um, just like Moshe needed to treat this new generation differently. And that's something I think we can totally learn, you know, as an overall lesson from uh, Sefer Dvarim. It's so interesting what you're saying about wanting more for our children or for our students, because I think often Moshe and David are compared, right? And David doesn't get to build the Beit HaMikdash. And it's his son who does that. And you would think that especially because David was so upset that he couldn't build the Beit HaMikdash, that you would see some sort of resentment on his part towards Shlomo. And you don't see that at all. You just see him trying to empower his son and give him instructions that will make him the best leader that he can be. And I think it's that same message of you want your children to 
surpass you, to grow, to not necessarily struggle with what you struggled with, to kind of use you as a launching point. And I think it's beautiful to see Moshe in that way. And I think that the brachot of the Shvatim show that Moshe is like a father to the Jewish people, right? Yaakov is the one who blesses his children. And now we see Moshe blessing the Shvatim as well, because he really does view them as, as his, his family. So thank you. Annie. Yeah, no, Gabby, I think that's such a beautiful point. And obviously, as a student of Mrs. Tights, when I get to Veschana and I get as emotional as Rachel beautifully described, but it strikes me, you know, he talks about how he pleaded with Hashem, I wanted to pass. And then the very next lines is va'ata and now and he goes ahead and starts telling B'nai Israel what they need to do in order to move forward so the resiliency and really the love and dedication he has to his mission it's not about him right it's about leading B'nai Israel and you see what Moshe really stands for and what he's really about from the fact that in his pain and you know the one thing he longs for all his life he doesn't get the transition to immediately and now i'm getting you in i think really reflects on the message that um gabby was saying and for me when i look at devarim the lines that stick out which are now a fairly famous song um the whole sort of bunch of sukim in parshat nitzavim where which have become famous for halachic implications where it says lo bashamayim he right it's not in the heavens or now it, ha- it has become um very famous from a song i think it's an Eitan cat song ki karove hadavar this thing is close to you me'od bepicha in your mouth ubavavcha and your heart ba'asoso to do it you know going back to this discussion that we had about how do you make it relevant how do you get excited i think in 2023 that's really hard and i think that moshe saw that not only for us, but for the generation going into Eretz Yisrael. The Torah is amazing. It's lofty. It's wonderful. And it can sometimes feel like it's Bashamayim. It's in the heavens. And Moshe, in his brilliance, guided by Hashem, was like, it's going to feel far away and it's going to feel overwhelming, but it's right there for you. And I think for me personally, for our students, knowing that it doesn't have to be this sort of grand learning the Beit Midrash for 10 hours at a time, but even the little things, the little ways we can connect to our learning to the Torah, Moshe is telling this generation, Ki it's close to you. Even though I'm using, you know, a whole safer to tell you all about it, it's there and it's easy and Hashem designed it for us to access it. However, we find a way to access the Torah. I love that you bring that quote back to Anitan Kat or whoever song it is, because I think growing up as somebody who went to uh, Gan Izzy, it's actually one of the 12 Sukim that the Lubavitcher Rebbe uh, said really? that people should say every day or whatever in camp we said it every I day. I love that. Um, but yeah, it's one of those 12 <laughs> sukim along with um, Shman, things like that. So um, definitely, definitely, I'd say like a top 10, if you will, of uh, sukim that I remember and that have made an impact. When we're talking about, I, I think you you all kind of highlighted Moshe Arbenu's death and transition and dealing with challenges. I think it's really interesting where the Torah ends. Right. So you have this kind of what you would assume the culmination of the story would be. You have Moshe empowering Yoshua, and then you would think, and they crossed into the land of Israel, and maybe Nada, and they lived happily ever after because we have Yoshua and Shoftim and Shmuel and, and whatever it is, but some sort of culmination to all of this work. And I know that when I speak to my students, but also in my own life, I can often be frustrated that there's no end, right? That it's like you're working so hard to something and and you achieve it, 
But in personal growth, it's like, okay, now there's like, okay, good. I got my Kavano Ishmonesre, but now like there's the rest. And then don't forget, there's also Musaf and, and Mincha and all these other Tfilot, or I've like worked on myself so hard and now there's somewhere else to go. And it's almost like you can't stop. And I'm wondering what your takes are on why the Torah doesn't give us this sense of almost satisfaction that the Jewish people then took everything that Moshe said and went and built the Beit HaMikdash or at least crossed in to Eretz Yisrael as a people. And instead it ends with pretty much with Moshe's death and then going back to the beginning. Gabby. I have given this a lot of thought. My first thought, although this is really not my legit answer, is that maybe it's like a cliffhanger. You know, like it leaves us, the Torah ends on a cliffhanger and it's exciting that way. I don't really think that that is the answer, but it always pops into my mind, you know, like a great TV show or the end of a series, the end of a season. Um, so maybe that's, that's one thought. But I have come up with uh, two answers that kind of sit well with me. One answer I think might be that we end with Moshe Rabbeinu's death and possibly maybe that mo- message is that no single leader is it. No single leader is like the be all and end all for the success of Israel. And therefore, we focus on his death, but then we don't have that little bit of Yahushua because then we would then shift from Moshe to Yahushua and we, and we really want to say, no, 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 it's not up to the leader. It's up to each person. It's up to us as an Am. It's up to us as a nation to follow the Torah, to be successful in connecting with Hashem. And it's up to each one of us as an individual. I also think that there's possibly an idea of it ending location-wise in the Midbar and not ending in Eretz Yisrael. And maybe that's, I don't remember where I read it exactly, but I love this idea that the Midbar is like representative of anywhere. It could be any place. And therefore, that's the Torah. The Torah ends in the Midbar because we can connect with Torah anywhere. Whether we're in Eretz Yisrael, whether we're not in Israel, whatever place we're in, whatever stage of life we're in, that's the Midbar. It could be any place. So I like that geographically. I like that it ends there. And that's why we end with Moshe dying and not going into Israel. It's also kind of like a high note, because aside from Moshe not being able to go into Israel, we are about to go into Israel, and there's all this potential. Like we're about to go in, and we're feeling good, and it's so hopeful. It's like when you're, you know, the beginning of a great day. Like if today you're going to go on a great big trip, or you're going to go to a fabulous wedding, and that morning you haven't done that exciting thing yet, but you feel so great because you know it's coming. So that's the kind of feeling I think Sefer Devarim ends on. Those are just some possibilities that I've thought of. I love that. I love that imagery of like all the potential of the wonderfulness that can exist in that morning when you wake up. So I, that's really, that's really great. Annie. I definitely think that the mess, both of those messages are very important. And I certainly think from a textual level, the message of it's not just one leader um, is what's being conveyed. But I, in thinking about this, took that sort of even more broadly, you know, Hashem commanded us to keep the Torah and go into Eretz Yisrael. And the circumstances and our expectations about what that looks like aren't always going to be the way we want them to be, right? You know, B'nai Yisrael expected, Moshe's taking us into Eretz Yisrael and it's happening right after we leave. But meanwhile, 40 years later and without Moshe, that's the plan for them to go in. And I think sometimes we look at our lives like, I'm going to get married now and have a baby then and get into this graduate school. And in those circumstances, I'm going to serve God. And that's how I am going to do my avodah Hashem. And life doesn't work like that, right? And I think the message to Klai Yisrael as Zos HaBracha ends with sort of a shift in circumstances around us is we're here to be Avdei Hashem. We're here to go into Eretz Yisrael, so to speak, regardless of what that looks like, who that's with, where it's going to be. 
we're always, you know, Avdei Hashem, and we're always supposed to have our eye on Eretz Yisrael, whatever that looks like for us. Um, and Hashem's with us the whole time, even if the circumstances externally feel and look different around us. Beautiful. I love that shift of um, like comparing that to what Gabby said about the desert, right? It's everywhere and it's also nowhere, right? It's like what you can imagine and what you can't imagine. And it's all of that kind of combined. So I like how those kind of play off of each other. Rachel. So I just want to reference quickly what Gabby said in the beginning, how she said, maybe not actually, but you know, maybe Hamash is leaving us on a cliffhanger. Like what comes next? I happen to think it's less of a cliffhanger and more so like a positive way to end the story. And I put story in air quotes because we know, you know, it's a debate. What is Hamash? Is it a history book? Is it a law book? It's a little bit of everything, right? So it's not just the story, but I think it is a little bit to keep us feeling really positive, right? I never feel more motivated than on some Torah as we're leaving shul. And I'm like, we just started Breshit. I'm going to go home and I'm going to learn every <laughs> every day. And I'm so motivated because Chumash ends on a high note, right? Like you have this sense of Moshe looking out over the lands of Israel, north, south, east, west, looks out over all of it. He just blessed all 12 Shvatim. We're all feeling unified. You see this next leader, Yoshua, Rakhazak Vamat, right? Be strong, be courageous, lead them into the land. You feel so motivated. Um, I think partially if we went into the story of Yoshua's Annie was was alluding to, right? It doesn't go so well, right? That plan isn't always as perfect or plays out as perfectly as we anticipate. So I think Chumash ends on a really positive note, whether or not we're in the land of Israel, we're a unified nation, right? We've gotten over the little bumps in the road in Bamidbar, right? We've gotten over the little bumps in the road throughout our stories, all referenced, referenced throughout Seyfert's Barham, and we come out stronger because of that. So I don't think we're left on a cliffhanger because, oh, what comes next? It's like, oh, this is a great feeling. And we're a part of this amazing nation that gets to go through this cycle of learning and growing together. And I think that's a lot of of the vibe, as my students would say, uh, you know, on Semchat Torah, right? Those, those are great vibes that we just want going into that school year of learning and going into learning Sefer Bereshit again. And we start with Sefer Yoshua right after we, we read Chatan Bereshit and Chatan Maftir, right? We are going into that story. I also happen to think, you know, there's a very logistical reason why we stop with Moshe's death and we don't enter the lands of Israel together. And that's because there is no Moshe right there Moshe wrote the Torah no one else writes the Torah and, and Hashem even says of Moshe pe'al pe'adaberbo right I speak to him mouth to mouth and to nobody else so it would seem as a little bit of a weird shift that all of a sudden Yoshua is taking over and we go into the lands of Israel and it's a part of Chumash no Chumash is Moshe's trajectory with that generation as we've been talking about and that generation ends before we get into the lands of Israel and Moshe is kind of that culminating point and then we step into our new chapter, into our new story of Yoshua, of Joshua, of Shoftim and the judges, right? And we move forward into what is our Jewish history, our Jewish lessons, who we become, and how we really become a nation in our land. So I get really excited all the time from Tzimchatzor, right? <laughs> this notion that we celebrate our learning and we take a day apart and we say, like, we're so excited for what we've learned. Rachel, I think if I could sum up what you said almost in, in one word... Uh, it's potential, right? There is so much potential at the end of the cycle, which is also the beginning of the cycle, right? It's the beginning and this end and how they play off of each other. I want to go back for a second, and, and this is really going to be my last question to you, 
today. Uh, I want to go back to what Annie was talking about, about being an Eved Hashem and Avodat Hashem. And that's how Moshe is described, right? As an Eved Hashem. And I'm curious what, how you would define what it means to be an Eved Hashem. Is that something that we can strive for? I'll kind of kick us off just by saying that I know for me with my tefillah, I've struggled a lot. What should I daven for, right? Like, do you daven for what you want? Do you daven for acceptance of what you have? And at the end of the day, I think that for myself, a lot of time what my tefillah comes down to is, Hashem, I want to serve you and I want you to give me whatever I need to do that and I want to be happy doing it. And whatever that's going to look like, that's where I'm at. But I don't always know what that means, right? Meaning I don't always know what it means to be an Eved Hashem and I don't always know if that's even realistic. And so I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. I always feel like when we say, what does it mean to be an Eved Hashem? It's really similar to what you just said, really. It's to our own selves and to connect with Hashem with our own unique strengths that Hashem has given us. I think it was Rav Salvejic who said that when you say Hashem Echad, that it means Hashem is unique. And therefore we as Hashem servants who imitate Hashem should also strive to be unique, which means we shouldn't strive to be cookie cutter clones, right? That is not what Hashem wants from us. Hashem wants us to be thoughtful and then to figure out how is the best way that we can serve Hashem based on who we are, which takes a lot of, I think, self-reflection and self-knowledge. Sometimes it's a little problematic for me when in our Orthodox circles, you know, there's a certain look, a certain way to be. And if you're not in that box, you're judged in a kind of negative way. That's how I view to be an Eved Hashem. That's the way I personally try to relate to it. And also, you know, about my students. We look at our students. Our students are all these unique individuals. And we don't want them to be the same. And we don't want them just to learn the same. We don't want them all to come out of our classes, you know, knowing X, Y, Z, and that's it. We want them to be able and to help them foster their own uniqueness and then to serve Hashem, whether it be, of course, with Torah, but maybe there's someone, you know, it's going to be a lot of Torah learning that's going to, they're going to connect to, or maybe it's going to be some social issues, or maybe through tikkun olam, you know, trying to fix the world, or maybe through the arts, whatever it is, that should feel like for them that it's okay. This is not outside of serving Hashem. Everything that I am in a way that I can serve, that's what I should be doing. That's what I should use to serve Hashem. And that makes me a complete Eved Hashem. Yeah, I love that completeness, that like wholeness, everything piece. So thank you for that. Yeah, I totally agree with Gabby. I think, you know, talking about this notion of always striving for more. Um, it's interesting. Moshe is described as an Eved Hashem actually only after he he's nifter, right? After only he passes away. And not once during his life is he considered an Eved Hashem. Um, but I think, you know, it's interesting because the the word, la'avod, to work, Thing, like constitutes this idea of continuously working and never giving up. You know, I always think of Moshe. He starts by introducing himself to, to I would call them, I guess, B'nai Israel at the time, but they're not really a nation. You know, the nation of Israel, the children of Israel in Egypt at the age of 80, and he continues to work as a leader. He continues to work on himself throughout, you know, the next four books of, of Chumash. And I think that's something that I relate to when I hear Moshe as an Eved Hashem, right? He never stopped working. Even at this moment in time, he got really angry and he hit the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Or at this moment in time, he got frustrated at the people, right? He never gave up. And and while I think it's a really lofty goal to try and reach an Eved Hashem, right? And the fact that Moshe is the only one described as an Eved Hashem um, to continuously work, 
to be in service of God. Um, Reviews spoke about tefillah, about davening. And I think a lot of times we think our service of God is tefillah, right? That's how the Mishnah kind of goes in that direction. Torah, avodah, gemilut chasadim, avodah we think of as tefillah and mitzvot. And I think that sometimes to be an Eved Hashem could be, today I'm going to be a better daughter. Today I'm going to be a better teacher. And just think about in this moment, what am I going to do to be a better something? Am I going to tuck in my chair after I leave the kitchen table, right? Am I going to pick up my pen off the floor after I leave the classroom? Just little things that you can continue to be better and better. Because I think having an epithet like Eved Hashem, you know, to be a servant of God feels really frightening and really lofty. But if we take it small pieces and, and we're always striving for that, as Gabby said, then I think that is more attainable than just thinking, whoa, to be like Moshe. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just following up on what Rachel said. I, when you asked this, us to think about this question, Ruby, I was like, Evan Hashem, like, that's not for me, <laughs> right? Like, I'm a Chavish teacher, but <laughs> not me, not an Evan Hashem. But, you know, to your point, I think, Hashem's sort of telling us that, like, we're not meant to be Moshe Rabbein, right? It says black and white at the end of Zohar Bracha, Lo kamna vi od Yisrael ke Moshe, right? There is no one else who's going to be exactly like Moshe. And if you think, you know, in Sefer Ba Midbar in uh, Perak Bet, when Miriam speaks Lashon Hara about Moshe, Hashem's like, hold up. You guys are not like Moshe, right? Like, this is a different thing. So I think talking about being an Evet Hashem like Moshe, Hashem's sort of telling us, like, it's okay you don't need to be like Moshe in his destination. But to your point, Rachel, I think you need to be like Moshe in his journey. And I think that's very comforting for me and feels more attainable in the sense of like, Eved Hashem, when you associate it with Moshe, feels like, whoa. But the journey that you mentioned, that's, I think, the message that Hashem is giving us. And that's why we end up, to your point, Gabby, in the Midbar, because we're on that journey towards being an Eved Hashem. You know, it's a great, it's a great way to end us. And I think, you know, you talk about the challenges that Moshe Rabbeinu had and stepping up to be a leader and not wanting to be a leader and running away from being a leader and know you're going to be a leader. And then him mentoring and passing that on to Yoshua who passes in the chain of Misora. I can tell you on a personal level that learning Torah with the three of you in the Eshkelot program and then getting to learn Torah Eretz Yisrael in Eretz Yisrael with you has deepened my understanding and my passion and renewed my, okay, I can do this. And like, I, I think Rachel, your enthusiasm is always, uh, is, is, is always contagious and the knowledge, Annie and Gabby and the stick of a, a profession that's not easy. And yet it's a calling and you clearly have taken the skills that Hashem has given you and you're clearly serving him with them. So on behalf of all the students that you teach, but really on behalf of me who has learned from you and and on behalf of our listeners, uh, I want to thank you for joining us today. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was so fun. As we wrap up this episode, on Parshat Vazot Bracha and on the entire Sefer Devarim, I just wanted to take a moment to thank you, the listener, for joining me on this journey. It has been my immense pleasure to host the podcast for Sefer Devarim and to learn along with you from these incredible women. And of course, to have Hakarta Tov to Rabbanit Malkabina, who had the vision 
of leadership to start Matan and to take these women who wanted to learn Torah, to provide them with high level Torah learning, with methodology, with information, and for these women who took up the mantle of leadership and of teaching in a time where it is not simple uh, in terms of who our students are or in terms of the profession itself at a time when it's not always simple to be a teacher. And so to sit week after week and interview and learn and discuss and really plumb the depths of what Moshe Rabbeinu was trying to teach the generations, looking for messages that we can relate to today has really been a schut, a privilege, a pleasure. And I thank you, the listener, for coming along for the ride and being part. Wishing you a wonderful year, a great after the Chagim, and only more opportunities to learn Torah together. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Please do one-on-one and women's Torah learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Matan's website. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review in the comments. Please send us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone.